Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. And we're going to review last week and this week's weekly market insights. Today is March 27th, 2023. We've got mixed messages which provoke volatility. That's the headline this week as we go over last week. Modest gains in major market indices masked sharp volatility amid the uncertainty arising from mixed messages emanating from public officials on revived banking fears. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 1.18%, while the S&P 500 added 1.39%. The NASDAQ Composite Index rose 1.66% for the week. The MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, advanced by 3.29%. What does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 32,237 year-to-date. That's down 2.74%. The NASDAQ, which is tech-heavy, 100 largest tech companies closed at 11,823. That's up 12.97% year to date. That's by far the best performing index we've got. MSCI EFA index uh, closed at 2,052. Uh, that's up 5.56% for the year. S&P 500 closed at 3,970. Uh, that's up 3.42% for the year. The 10-year treasury note traded down last week to 3.38% which is down about half a 50 basis points. So 0.50% or half percent. Uh, interesting that the, the, the yields are just going all over the place. So uh, th- there's a massive move in the two-year treasury and um, actually some of the other tr- short duration treasury notes. Uh, that means I think just looking forward here that uh, the bond market's pricing in more volatility and potentially a retest of the 3,500 S&P 500 uh, lows that we experienced uh, late last year. So a turbulent week for stocks. The stock market was unable to find sustained direction as investors weighed comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Stocks initially rose as banking fears eased following a deal to acquire a troubled Swiss bank, which was Credit Suisse. Optimism was further fueled by Yellen, who said the government would intervene to protect depositors if more bank issues materialized. So the enthusiasm faded, however, when Yellen subsequently testified that the Treasury was not working on any blanket insurance for bank deposits and by the Fed's warning that banking turmoil could shrink lending access so liquidity might dry up. The volatile week ended with uh, sharp intraday price swings shrugging off revived European banking concerns. So the rake hike cycle, is it ending? That's the big question, right? Last week, the FOMC meeting was particularly noteworthy. Fed officials were placed in the difficult position of balancing the banking system's opposing risks of still high inflation and stressors. The committee had 
considered leaving rates unchanged given banking stressors, but all unanimously voted uh, to raise rates by 25 basis points, citing elevated inflation, resilient economic activity, and a strong labor market. The official announcement hinted that the Fed might soon be done raising rates, while also stating it was too early to ascertain the degree to which the economy could slow from the current banking strains. This week, uh, key economic data, we got consumer confidence, which is Tuesday, jobless claims on Thursday, along with uh, gross domestic product Friday, personal income and outlays, and consumer sentiment. This week, notable companies reporting earnings would be Micron Technology and Wal uh, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Uh, Micron, I think, is going to have a charge off that might kind of put a damper on the SOXX or the the the, the Philly Semi uh, index, but we'll see. It's in a it's kind of in a bullish pattern. We'll see what happens with that chart. Um, let's see who can file your taxes. In this week's tax tip, many people file their taxes, but others choose to have a third party represent them. The IRS shares information about the different. Uh, types of third-party authorizations that allow someone to represent you on its site. Uh, power of attorney allows someone to represent a taxpayer in tax matters. Uh, tax information authorization, what it does is it appoints anyone to review or receive a taxpayer's confidential tax information for the type of tax for a specified period. Uh, third-party designee uh, designates a person on the taxpayer's tax form to discuss that specific tax return and year with the IRS. And an oral disclosure authorizes the IRS to disclose the taxpayer's tax information uh, to a person the taxpayer brings into a phone call or meeting with the IRS about a specific tax issue. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. And again, this tip was adapted from irs.gov. Um, all right, that's it. On to the next article. Let's. This will be a good week. Check it out. Stay tuned. Thanks. Money that buys good health is never ill spent. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, the average person covered by Medicare has out-of-pocket medical expenses in excess of $5,400 a year. Premium costs accounted for 42% of the total, while long-term uh, facility costs, medical supplies, prescription drugs, and dental care claims most of the rest of the costs. With healthcare expenses in the spotlight, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that our retirement strategy anticipates these costs. But that's not enough. Remember, healthcare coverage, including Medicare, typically does not cover extended medical care, and it's a prospect we shouldn't overlook. The Administration for Community Living estimates that about 60% of people will need extended care at some point in their lives. These annual costs can range widely based on geographic location, the type of care required, and uh, an assisted living facility will cost, uh, will cost over $80,000 per year in Alaska. In Oklahoma, it would cost around $46,000 a year. When workers were surveyed, only 15% said that they were very confident that they'd have enough money to pay for extended care in retirement. Finally, you may want to consider a Medigap policy, which may help some of the healthcare costs not covered by Medicare. Making sure that you are properly insured for your medical costs may help strengthen the foundation of your retirement. 
And so, if you have any questions about that, give us a call at Northbound Wealth Management, 317-399-1107. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. I, I, I thought I'd go over how income taxes work. So the Internal Revenue Service estimates that taxpayers and businesses spend about $8 billion hours, not dollars, $8 billion hours a year complying with tax filing requirements. To put this into perspective, if all this work were done by a single company, it would need about 4 million full-time employees and be one of the largest industries in the United States. As complex as the details of taxes can be, the income tax process is fairly straightforward. However, the majority of Americans would rather not spend time with the process, which explains why, the, why more than half hire a tax professional to assist in their annual filing. Remember, this material is not intended uh, as legal or tax advice, so consult your or a tax professional uh, for your specific situation. But uh, this is how you get started. The tax process starts with income, and generally, most income received is taxable. A taxpayer's gross income includes income from work, investments, interests, pensions, and as well as other sources. The income from all these sources is added together to arrive at the taxpayer's gross income. What's not considered income? That's a good question. Gifts, inheritances, workers' comp benefits, welfare benefits, or cash rebates from a dealer or manufacturer. From gross income, adjustments are subtracted. These adjustments may include retirement plan contributions, half of self-employment and other items. The result is the adjusted gross income. From adjusted gross income, deductions are subtracted. With deductions, taxpayers have two choices, the standard deduction or itemized deductions. The standard deduction amount varies based on filing status as shown in the chart here that I've got on my screen. Uh, those of you listening won't be able to see it. Uh, but basically, itemized deductions can include state and local taxes, charitable contributions, the interest on a home mortgage, and certain unreimbursed job expenses, among other things. Keep in mind that there are limits on the amount of state and local taxes that can be deducted. Once deductions have been subtracted, the uh, result is taxable income. So taxable income leads to gross tax liability, or basically what you owe. But it's not over yet. Any tax credits are then subtracted from your gross tax liability. Okay, so then taxpayers may receive credits for a variety of items, including energy saving improvements. The result is the taxpayer's net tax. Understanding how the tax process works is one thing. Doing the work is quite another. So as you head into uh, fulfilling your tax filing uh, obligation, uh, because there's only two things that you cannot avoid are death and taxes. So uh, with that, have fun uh, filing your taxes and or filing extensions to file later. Uh, but this, uh, <laughs> this tax tip was adapted from irs.gov. And uh, hopefully you found it useful and helpful. On to the next uh, segment. So does credit score affect your insurance rates? While the vast majority of insurance companies use credit-based insurance scores to help determine the price of insurance, it is banned in the states of Massachusetts, Michigan, Hawaii, and California. Some states may allow it as a factor for property insurance like auto and homeowners insurance. Other states allow it to be used 
with any type of insurance. So there are several factors here. Generally, an insurance company will use a credit-based insurance score as just one factor in its underwriting process. The others may be considered depending upon the type of insurance. For example, with auto insurance, other factors could include your zip code, the age of the drivers, the make, the model, the age of the car, and the number of miles you drive annually. The use of credit scores to determine insurance rates is rooted in research that has shown that individuals with lower credit scores tend to file more claims. You can ask your insurance company if a credit-based insurance score was used to underwrite and rate your policy and in which risk category you were placed. If you want to improve your credit-based insurance score, you should consider taking the same steps you would to improve your credit rating, make timely debt payments, clear up past disputes, and keep credit card balances low. Not to mention, drive safe out there, you guys. But if you have any questions on that, give us a call here at Northbound Wealth Management, 317-399-1107. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next segment. Understanding FDIC insurance. It's natural to wonder exactly how a bank safeguards your money. Fortunately, the FDIC or Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, insurance exists for this very reason, to help protect your funds once deposited. I'm gonna go over how it works and what it covers. So what is FDIC insurance? The FDIC is an independent government agency that helps protect bank depositors from the loss of uninsured deposits at an FDIC insured bank. This organization oversees FDIC deposit insurance, which provides some protection to bank customers if an FDIC insured institution fails. In other words, FDIC insures your money at the bank up to certain limits. A bank failure is an unlikely situation, but it does happen. When this occurs, the FDIC provides depositors with an insurance payout. That can be up to $250,000 per depositor per institution for each account ownership category. When two banks failed in the first quarter of this year in 2023, regulators took steps above and beyond the $250,000 limit to protect deposits. Remember that if your bank is an FDIC insured institution, you don't need to apply for FDIC insurance because coverage is automatic. So the purpose of FDIC insurance, FDIC insurance covers traditional deposit accounts of up to $250,000 per depositor. These traditional deposit accounts include the following, checking accounts, savings accounts, certificates of deposits or CDs, money market, bank deposit accounts, prepaid cards, assuming they meet all FDIC insurance requirements. So CDs or certificates of deposits are time deposits offered by banks, thrift institutions, and credit unions. They may offer a slightly higher return than a traditional bank savings or checking account, but they may also require a higher deposit amount. If you sell before the CD reaches maturity, you may be subject to penalties. Bank savings accounts and CDs generally provide a fixed return, whereas the value of a money market fund or funds can fluctuate. Money market funds are investment funds that seek to preserve the value of your investment at $1 a share par value or $1 a share. So however, uh, it is possible to lose money by investing in a money market fund. In addition, the FDIC also insures retirement accounts in which plan participants have the right to direct how 
they invest the money, including traditional or Roth individual accounts, IRAs, savings accounts, 401ks or other self-defined contribution plans, Section 457 deferred compensation plan accounts, whether self-directed or not. The FDIC may also ensure an employee benefit plan that is not self-directed, such as a pension plan. Once you reach the age of 73, you must take the required minimum distributions from a traditional IRA in most uh, circumstances. Withdrawals from traditional IRAs are taxed at ordinary income, and if taken before the age of 59 and a half, may be subject to a 10% federal income tax penalty. Roth IRA distributions must meet a five-year holding requirement and occur after the age of 59 and a half to qualify for the tax-free, penalty-free withdrawal of earnings. One can make these withdrawals under certain and other circumstances, such as the owner's death. The original Roth IRA owner is not required to take minimum annual withdrawals or required minimum distributions. Once you reach the age of 73, you must take the required minimum distributions from your 401k, 403b, or 457 plan, or other defined contribution plans in most circumstances. Withdrawals from defined contribution plans are taxed as ordinary income, and if taken before the age of 59 and a half, may be subject to a 10% federal income tax penalty. So what are the limitations of FDIC insurance? Now that we understand what FDIC insurance covers, let's also look at what it doesn't cover. The FDIC states that it does not cover the following stocks, bonds, mutual funds, life insurance policies, annuities, municipal securities, safety deposit boxes or their contents, U.S. Treasury bills, bonds, or notes. Stock, price, uh, stock prices return and principal value will fluctuate as market conditions change and shares when sold may be worth more or less than the original cost. The market value of a bond will fluctuate with changes in interest rates. As interest rates rise, the value of existing bonds typically fall. If an investor sells a bond before maturity, it may be worth more or less than the initial purchase price. By holding a bond to maturity, an investor will receive the interest payments due plus the original principal, barring default by the issuer. And mutual funds are sold only by prospectus. Please uh, consider carefully the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objectives before investing. Your financial professional, Northbound Wealth Management, hopefully, can obtain a prospectus containing this and other information about the investment company. Please read it carefully before you invest or send money. So several factors will affect the cost and availability of life insurance, including age, health, and the type and the amount of insurance purchase. Life insurance policies have expenses, including mortality and other charges. If one surrenders a policy prematurely, the policyholder may pay surrender charges and have income tax implications. Consider whether uh, you are uh, insurable before implementing a life insurance strategy. Any guarantees associated with the policy are dependent on the ability of the issuing insurance company to continue making claim payments. And annuities have contract limits, fees, and charges, including account and administration fees, underlying investment management fees, mortality and expense fees and charges for optional benefits. Most annuities have surrender fees that are usually highest if you take out the money in the initial years of the annuity contract. Withdrawals and income payments are taxed at ordinary income. 
uh, rates. If before age 59 and a half, one makes a withdrawal, a 10% federal income tax penalty may apply unless an exemption applies. The guarantees of an annuity contract depend on the issuing company's claims paying ability. Municipal bonds are subject to a variety of risks, including adjustments in interest rates, call risk, market conditions, and default risk. Certain municipal bonds may be difficult to sell. A municipal bond issuer may be unable to make interest or principal payments, leading to the issuer defaulting on the bond. If this occurs, the municipal bond may have little to no value. If one purchases a bond at a premium, it may result in realized losses. As a result, the interest on a municipal bond may be taxable after purchase. So municipal bonds are free of federal income tax. Municipal bonds may also be free of state and local income taxes for investors who live in the area where the bond was issued. If a bondholder purchases a share of a municipal bond fund that invests in bonds issued by other states, the bondholder may have to pay income taxes. The federal government guarantees U.S. Treasury bonds, bills, and notes on timely principal and interest payments. However, if you sell a treasury before its maturity, it may be worth more or less than the original price paid. So FDIC insurance and you. As mentioned above, as mentioned before, the FDIC insures up to $250,000 for a single or joint account per depositor. This means that you have either one account or multiple accounts at the same bank, but only 250,000 may be insured. So make sure you do some analysis on that. I was I, When I worked at JP Morgan, we did that all the time for customers and clients. But some strategies may enhance your coverage. Hypothetically, you could set up a revocable trust and identify one or more beneficiaries to possibly increase your coverage. Each beneficiary may receive 250,000 dollars of coverage for example a revocable trust account with one owner that names three unique beneficiaries can insure themselves up to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars remember using a trust involves complex tax rules and regulations before moving forward with the trust consider working with a professional familiar with the rules and regulations of a trust for example an estate planning attorney um, if you have any questions over that dissertation regarding FDIC insurance and trying to understand it, um, please give me a call. Give us a call here at Northbound Wealth Management, 317-399-1107. And I hope you enjoyed this segment, this market insight. And we're going to go over a lot more next week as we have a little bit more uh, time during uh, spring break. Hope you guys all enjoy the next couple of weeks. If you're taking spring break and have kids, be safe. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to Northbound Wealth Management here uh, with Brent Foster, your founder and CEO. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye.